Welcome to Emirates Podcast, episode number 112. This is your host, Suman Silbal. I would like to welcome DC Cole and Robbie Watson to Emirates Podcast. DC and Robbie just finished Pinhuri and they're sewing around their buckles around, around town. And <laughs> how are you guys doing today? Have, have you guys recovered from Pinhuri? Yeah, I would say I'm, uh, I'm about 85% recovered. Not, not fully yet, but uh, well on my way. Yeah, I'm. Uh... I'm right there with you, DC. I'm about 85, 90%. Still a little bit lethargic, but uh, making some pretty good progress. So maybe here in the next couple of days, I'll get the mojo back. But right now, just kind of uh, reveling in the victory and, and glory of finishing my first 100 miler. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, you guys haven't gone as far as uh, putting a tattoo on your body and uh, Penhody, or I've seen some of the pictures from some of my friends on the. <laughs> No, I have not, but I will. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 interesting for me. It's like, hmm. So yeah, that, that's great. I, it uh, it does uh, takes a little bit of time to recover. I have tried to in the past. I have tried to go through hundred and try to run a marathon in a couple of weeks, and sometimes it doesn't work. And it's, you're really not fully recover for a while. Like what do you say, Robbie? It takes a while to get that bozo back. I think running first spin hoodie, I didn't want to run for a while. <laughs> it's like there's no way I want to run. <laughs> so what about the buckle? Have you guys uh, put your buckle in the belt, or, or are you still working through it? How does that work? I went and bought a belt on Friday, and then we had a small get-together with the uh, with our running group at uh, a local brewery that just opened here in Alabaster. So we wore our buckles to to that event. That's excellent, excellent. So let's uh, let's wind back a little bit uh, before uh, Pinhody. Tell us about a little bit about your running journey. How did you end up, you know, becoming an ultra marathon, hundred mile finisher, Pinhody finisher? How did you get to that point? At least to line up and uh, train, and we can talk about the training and stuff in a little bit. Go ahead and tell us about your running journey a little bit to us. Mine started uh, in January 2016, Suman. I had retired from the Air Force and spent a lot of time doing nothing and um, started kind of to affect me physically and mentally. So I got out and started hiking and then met a couple of, uh, of Butts members, and that led into being exposed to a David Tott race of uh, the Memorial Day run. And um, and it just kind of went from there. That first run really, really beat me up, and it enticed me to keep going. I mean, it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't realize running would be this hard. And, and so I just kind of became infatuated with it. And it seemed like the harder it was, the more I fell in love with it. And then last year when I met Robbie and Jack, and I think that's one of the first times me and you met on the, the Blood Rock preview run. And that's really when it took off for me is when I met some like-minded people like Robbie. And uh, we really hit it off. And, man, I can't. we just kind of pushed each other over the last year. And both of us had the end goal of Penhody with no wavering whatsoever. You know, we were going to finish that, that thing no matter what. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I got from – you know, being 45 pounds overweight in January of 2016 to finish in Penn Go ahead, Robbie. Uh, tell us about your running journey. How did you start? So about the same timeline, you know, late 2016, early 2017, was doing some road running, 
I had done the Vulcan 10K, did the uh, Mercedes half marathon uh, late 2016. Then uh, a buddy of mine, Steve, had uh, kind of suckered me in to doing a trail run uh, last minute. Uh, told me it wasn't that far. Uh, medium, you know, 7.30 uh, Red Mountain Park. And uh, I forgot if he even told me the mileage, but uh, it was a horrible experience. But I really enjoyed the way that I felt after I had completed it. Uh, started, you know, venturing into the trails a little bit. Signed up for the Oak Mountain 50K <laughs> uh, in March. Uh, was nowhere near prepared for it. Suffered greatly. I did finish. Again, really liked the feeling uh, of the accomplishment. Uh, trail community was great. Enjoyed the people. It kind of sucked me in from that point. Just stayed on the trails, kept signing up for races, kept training, and ended up pacing for uh, a guy that ran Penhoody last year. Really loved the atmosphere. I wanted to be a part of it and said, heck, why not? I'll start training. And if I feel that the Training's not progressing where it needed to go, then I can kind of call that at the time. Uh, and somewhere in the midst of all of that, I met Jack DC, Robbie Chumley. You know, there's a group of six, seven, eight of us. Uh, we started training pretty heavily during the weekends. A lot of us would meet out at Oak Mountain during the week. Training really ramped up. We started doing some pretty serious elevation. Things started looking promising. And, uh, you know, I committed to it 100%. And uh, looking back, you know, that that group that uh, kind of all came together, you know, really drove all of us, uh, especially me in D.C., to being successful at Penhody. Robbie, what did we end up with for the year? I'm, I'm not a watch runner, Suman. I, I do not wear any kind of tracker on any of my runs, uh, not even Penhody. I wore a, a small watch that gave me just the time of day. But uh, our training, Robbie, what did we finish with? prior to Penhody, I know you had the mileage in the in the elevation gain. I was only around 1,150 miles for the year uh, going into my last month taper. Um, we were we were at about 175 to 180,000 foot of elevation. So pretty much everything we did uh, up to Penhody in 2018 uh, was hill work, whether it was a four or five mile run, whether it was a 15 or 20 mile run, everything we were doing was anywhere from two to 5,000 foot of gain. You know, that's all training runs. Uh, and I'd say that about 90% of uh, everything that we did leading into Penhody was all on trail. Uh, single track either at Oak Mountain or Red Mountain. Sounds like uh, even though you guys uh, have a running background previously, seems like uh, to get to Penhody is basically coming out of the couch uh, to Penhody. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right on it. Uh, I mean, it logically makes no sense for us to be uh, where we're at. But uh, just, you know, we're, we're like tanks. <laughs> just, you know, don't tell us we can't. We just kind of plowed through the training. And a lot of it was unconventional. And I know, um, you know, you've you got to be careful, you know, with injuries and whatnot. But uh, we really just put our nose down to the, the, the grindstone and, and got after it. We wanted it bad, which I think is a lot of being successful at Penhody. You have to want it and you want to have to be out there and, and do work. Definitely. Uh, for for a hundred mile, uh, I, I tell a lot of people you can fake 50k marathon, and once you get to those distance level, 50 mile or 100 mile, you cannot fake it. You got to put some training and uh, work on it. Uh, I think that's one of the other reasons why I didn't show up for Pinhody this year because my training was not there, and I was 
I don't mind to suffer, but at the same time, you know, my family <laughs> didn't enjoy seeing me suffering. But but looks like you guys put put that, like you said, the training to the uh, max level and try to take that training and see what happens. I think that's I think that's a great story of its own. So from your uh, from your experience for both of you. I mean, you know, why, uh, why pick 100, you know? You could, have, you could have stayed in distance-wise. Why was that drive to get 100? You know, I guess, uh, I guess for me, pacing last year during Penhody, I was really nervous. I think I was more nervous pacing last year than I was running the Penhody 100 this year. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I had never been around the atmosphere. Uh, you know, the guy that I was pacing from Utah, extremely good runner, had placed second or third uh, in a pretty big ultra maybe a couple of months before Pinhody. So I was pretty nervous that once I picked him up at Bald Rock, uh, was I going to be able to keep up? Uh, so for a couple of days before and, and even up to you know a few minutes before he came into Bald Rock, I was extremely nervous, wondering how fast he was going to be. And there was a lot of pressure to make sure that uh, I was going to be able to, to do him good and, and not you know uh, be counterproductive. But once he got there, of course, like most people, even if you're fast, by the time you get to Bald Rock, it's not quite as fast. So I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I was just a pacer and felt like a rock star at Bald Rock, you know, looking at Carl Metzler come in, Ryan come in around number four, number five. So it, it was a, a, a crazy atmosphere. I loved it. Uh, we had a good run. I, I basically paced him all the way to Chandler Springs. Uh, Ryan ended up finishing the race number 10 or, or, or 11. Such a good atmosphere that, that I knew I wanted to be part of it again. I just didn't realize it was going to be that quick. So, you know, I think a little bit of peer pressure. Me and DC have similar personalities. We're very competitive. We, we became great friends and we really pushed each other. And it was one of those deals to where, you know, I said, uh, Ben Hody. And DC said, yeah. I said, okay, and, and the rest is history. And then, you know, we went through some highs and lows, some injuries. You know, we, we, we'd spend hours on the phone. Hey, man, you ready? You know, just talk about it. And uh, uh, I couldn't have done it without him. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about the crew and pacers a little bit later, but just leading up to it, uh, a lot of nerves and having somebody there that's going to run it with you, uh, I, I think, you know, meant everything in the world it was it was uh, extremely valuable i can't echo that enough it is one of those things i i kind of we're kind of similar soon when it comes to some of our background and why we run Pinhody. i paced um david darby through blood rock last year and and that environment of being in blood rock when and pacing like robert that it just sucks you in. It pulls you into the atmosphere, and you and you so want to be a part of it. So same thing when when Robbie sent me the the snapshot of him being registered for Pinhody, I went I went on right away and and threw my hat in the ring. I said we're doing this. And the good thing about it is I'm so lackadaisical when it comes to my approach to running. I tell everyone all the time it's just running. I don't wear a watch. I don't know how fast I'm going. I run on feel. And it's nice to have Robbie, who is the tactician when it comes to this. He has times laid out. He has everything that he wanted at aid stations. He he had everything laid out. 
I didn't even know the name of the aid stations going in, what mileage they were at or nothing. So it was nice to have him go here, be a little bit more prepared for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, uh, you know, in saying that, it's also good to have somebody like DC. Uh, I think we complimented each other well because he'd be the first to tell me, hey, man, you just need to kind of chill out. It's just running. And, <laughs> and uh, I would get so worked up over the stuff that, you know, really in the grand scheme of things didn't matter. So I think we paired pretty well. Uh, our strengths and weaknesses, uh, you know, paired really well. Definitely. Uh, one of the thing uh, I did this year, uh, uh, like what you said, Robbie, I paced Penhody. I've never paced anybody in a 100-miler or ultra marathon. I paced a lot of marathon, a lot of you know. And my runner, I was like worried that he's going to be, I was wanting to pace 30 miles and when I when he came in Adam's guy was like can we can you start now I was already ready but I was hoping just ready to take a nap or just be ready later on and I, he said let's go my wife was telling me that he looking strong he's like oh, I'm worried that he's looking strong because he could run me down but uh, like I said uh, he was already in 55 miles and I was in zero miles so kind of worked out well uh, it was interesting to see uh, one thing before we leave this this topic just want to mention to uh, runners listeners that uh, if you don't don't want to run the whole pin hoodie or whole hundred miles if you want to have a little bit of experience just like robbie did uh dc did uh and i did this time be a pacer uh, help people out and uh, it's really rewarding there too i never thought i would have a, such a runner's high coming out of pacing i didn't even get a medal or <laughs> you know, just to get somebody to finish line was was amazing i was like wow i like two three days i was like a runner's high. i was telling me like you you guys felt finishing whatever you felt i felt like that you know i was like wow so anyway that was interesting um for me and i uh, just jumped in ran 45 miles and was a good running for me so and, and the amount of knowledge that you gain just from that just from crewing just from you know pacing with somebody you know you learn the course you learn so much from other runners just running in the conversations you have and their experiences man you can go in way more prepared definitely i ran uh seven uh i have done 700 and the uh, first one i didn't have a pacer and then i had pacers here and there and i i feel bad for all my pacers they had to pace me through my pain and suffering <laughs> because i was on the other side <laughs> watching my runner going through the pains and it was really hard you know i don't know when to push them and when to slow down i know how when to slow down but I was like can i push him a little bit you know you get greedy that you wanted to take the runner a little bit farther than a little bit faster but at the same time you have to be careful that not to run him down too much so it, it got interesting but we can talk about that a little bit later um let's just move on to our topic let's uh, uh we talked a little bit about training um it looks like the hill training helped a lot correct the uh, hill training for pinhody so t- let's talk about a little bit of the what other type of training did you all do uh, to get ready for Pinhody? Personally, I started uh, going and seeing uh, Mike House over at House Family Fitness. He's got a little gym over in, in Pelham, Alabama, and uh, extremely intelligent when it comes to teaching me flexibility, teaching me proper techniques to do certain things. And it made me a lot stronger just by being able to do things correctly and, and the confidence of leaving the gym every day, knowing, hey, I can do this or I did that and I feel good so that's kind of what i did three days a week going and seeing him to get some strength training and all that in yeah and on my end i uh, wish i could i wish i could tell you that uh, i was doing a lot of cross training i didn't i uh, wished i had of but uh i really didn't so if i could 
go back and do it, I would definitely incorporate quite a bit more cross training. You know, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. So definitely, uh, those vertical training is a part of the cross training uh, that you <laughs> that we ran. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I joined joined the Wednesday night group uh, with running with you guys. Uh, came I was pretty bad shape, but I think end of the end of that cycle, I I got pretty strong. I felt really strong. But I think those night runs, are regular runs, I think helps a lot too. Yeah, I, I'm bad at cross training too. Don't feel bad, Robbie. <laughs> and you know, I will throw this out there. You know, you talking about the Wednesday and and all that. I have to say that, and people may laugh at this, but you know, I got to throw it out to you know Paloma Blanca. Them guys. You know, Alan, Jack, Chumley, Jason, Dennis, Mike House, all those guys, somebody was always there to run with you on a on a weeknight, a Saturday morning, a Sunday, Wednesdays. Somebody was always there for us to run with. So that helped out tremendously with training. I would absolutely agree. You know, finding a run group, uh, whether it's, you know, the one that we have or, or any other run group. I mean, you know, there's there's run groups everywhere. Finding a run group and having someone that holds you accountable. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go every single time the run group goes out and runs. But having a core group of, of guys or gals that are continuously training, you know, there's no way I would have put in anywhere near the miles this year that I did if that core group of guys and gals weren't out there. You know, Wednesday nights, the Saturday morning run groups at 6.30, Sunday afternoon. I mean, it just morphed into just about every day during the week. Somebody was out at Oak Mountain or Red Mountain running, and uh, it makes things a little bit easier. So um, finding a run group, uh, or if you want to call it an accountability group, uh, I think that's pretty key. It's hard to do this by yourself. It can be done. I know there, there's people that do it, but uh, I'm not one of them. I, I need, I kind of need that peer pressure and that accountability. Definitely, it's uh, having a run group. I, I'm big supporter of that. I, uh, I run with a group. Uh, a lot of time, I run by myself during the weekdays and the weekends. I always have run. Like to run with a group, so that way we can, we can catch up at the same time push each other further and faster, however it works, so definitely. Uh, let's move to the next section of this interview or this talk. Let's talk about your journey getting to start line. How uh, I know we jumped from training to start line. There's a lot of things happened between that, but let's just uh, jump to the start line. Was it, the, was it the way you thought it would be with the start out, out in the middle of nowhere in the Talladega Forest? Tell us about how did you felt being at, at and now you're about to start the 100-mile journey. Tell us about that. Well, I was lucky enough that I, I had family come in. Um, my brother and his wife came in from, from Corpus Christi. So for me, I'm standing on the starting line, and I've got, you know, Robbie next to me and and everything. And, and man, seeing my brother make it to the start before – where I was able to take off took for some reason it took all the the fear all the emotions that I had towards the race away and it was just I was elated to see them so for me that it was just couldn't wait to to start the race and you know see them and show them that I could finish so everything became for mentally I had to finish from that point on so so that's how I my start was is I was focused 100% on finishing before the gun even went off same thing um i, I had uh my older brother who uh kind of like a second dad he's 12 years older than me and he ended up coming over to be my crew chief uh had him there friday night kind of you know 
through the process on Saturday morning, you know, getting to the starting line. And then, you know, once we uh, started lining up, I, I think that's when the emotions hit. <laughs> uh, you know, DC was standing by me, had Don. Then it kind of all just hit. You know, here we are. I'm not really sure what the emotions were, but uh, I was flooded with them, I can assure you. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we've got a pretty good picture. I think every one of us have tears in our eyes. But, you know, at, at that point, it was, uh, you know, it was going to happen. Just looking around, realizing that, you know, all the hard work that we had put in, uh, now is the time to, to get serious. And, you know, we're going to have fun. But, uh, you know, we were, we were on a mission. We were going to finish the race. Um, and like DC said, it was going to take quite an act to get us off of that course. So, yeah, a lot of emotions. Great, great emotions. Probably the biggest high of the whole race, including the finish, was for me at the start. Definitely. Yeah, but one of the things is sometime when I line up at the 100 miler, I felt like uh, out of place. Uh, it's like, uh, what I'm doing here already? <laughs> because <it> was, <laughs> A little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I look around, I was like, uh, especially Pinhoti is very intimidating because there's so many people come from all around the country and the world, and there's so many different varieties of runners you see. That's like, uh, am I ready to? go on with this kind of thing <laughs> I, I am i am so glad you said that because i truly stood at the starting line at one point in time and looked around with some of the names that i knew and some of the people i recognized and i'm like i don't even know if i'm really a runner you know why am i here with these people why am i in the same race as <laughs> these guys that are that are truly runners yeah yeah i've i've Lake Martin, I don't feel bad because it's becoming, you know, it's a smaller race, and and uh, and I've been there doing that since the beginning. But but somehow in Penhurdy, I was like, hmm, you know. But but I know that I know I have to run my own race, and everybody's run their own, so it's, it doesn't matter once you start. That once the guns goes up. And one of the thing I, I was worried about uh, UDC. Um, I talked to you several times when we see each other. That's first 40 miles. You just just go on going off and going fast. Uh, uh, like you said, you don't wear your watch. So how did you manage that uh, the the early each to go fast? Me and Robbie had talked about where to go, and Robbie was going to be in the first third of the pack, and I told him I'm going to the rear, going towards the rear because I want to be stuck in the Congo line to get under control. So I did that, so me and Don ran. Me and Don Leopard ran for the first 20 miles. And Don has a watch, so he kept us at 15-minute miles. And once I was kind of locked into that mentally, I was able to hold that. So when I got to Baldrock, I was only 30 minutes ahead of a 15-minute mile pace. So I did real well by throttling back and and staying in the back of the pack for as long as I could. And I think I benefited for it because I still felt good. I wasn't tired. I wasn't fatigued. I, my spirits were good. Uh, everything was still right where it should be at mile 40 and then that's that's really important uh to have that at the mile 40 a lot of the listeners uh, if you're going in to the first time to Pinhoti, even though the climb to, up to mile 40 uh, looks difficult i mean we talk about that a lot but it's not the, the hardest thing you do but i think the early part is just holding holding your speed or holding your you know pace early race so that you have it uh, like what dc just said that uh, feeling good when you get to the ball rock i have never felt good getting to ball rock last two times i think i go too fast uh dc you and i we kind of run similar thing i think we just go as hard as possible just <laughs> <laughs> yes hey man it's all or none right yeah all or none just yeah just get there you know uh but you did good i was proud of you 
But uh, Ravi, uh, for for you, uh, getting to the the Morgan Lake, you know that's some of the critical points. Uh, the first couple of uh, aid stations are fine, but getting to Morgan Lake, tell us tell us about a little bit about that. Uh, how how did you feel getting up to Morgan Lake? That's when the race slowly start starting. So yeah, the the plan was to try to get somewhere right there around the thirty to forty percent back mark, and uh, some some somehow I ended up you know 70 80 percent back so i was i was right there around the area with dc once we uh you know come off the start and uh entered the single track it was extremely congested the conga line was was pretty slow going through the first couple of aid stations uh i think uh you know it pushed a lot of people's uh target plans back quite a bit uh really i didn't start sensing people kind of getting out on their own running their own pace until morgan lake you know i came out of morgan lake dc came out of morgan lake uh we were right there we we ran for what maybe about four miles dc give or take yeah four yeah Uh, four or five you know and and one thing that i've learned nobody has their high points and low points together uh they're they're always at different times and when we were running together i think i was going through a little bit of a low point dc looked great i told him to go um i was extremely happy for him that was a good positive vibe for me to kind of continue on um and he shot out and um he was looking good and it's kind of good to know that you've got somebody that uh that you train with a, a close friend that's a little bit up ahead of you it kind of gives you something to run toward uh it's kind of hard to explain but knowing that he and, and there, i never passed him i mean he was always from that point forward 20 30 minutes ahead of me but i would come into the aid station my crew and his crew kind of gelled and ended up being like one large super crew but they would tell me hey DC is looking good, 20 minutes in front of you, and that would give me something to kind of, you know, run after. So uh, Morgan Lake's where the race started. Uh, in my mind, uh, it was just kind of a slow shuffle until that point. And uh, once we kind of come out of Morgan Lake, that's when I felt that the race started. Definitely. Uh, one thing, uh, really what you mentioned, and I tried to, when I run a race, I tried not to run with anybody. Uh, one of the reasons is, like what you said, you know, you run with so close to somebody and then they're looking good. You're you're about to die, and then <laughs> you're like, a, what, what, "Am I supposed to be here?" Uh, so I, a lot of time, I just I try not to run to run unless they're pacing me or something. Especially these long races, um, because like you said, you know the, the, that roller coaster is so hard. You know, it comes ups and downs, and try to catch that. Usually, my line is uh, what do you call ride your high, stay in your low, never give up. So that's that's usually what I go with a lot of roller coasters. But about talking about Morgan Lake, it's that's the when you get the first uh, drop bag. Did you guys put anything special in those drop bags, or anything to change, eat, grab something, or you didn't have? Well, you know, I, I put a lot of planning into the drop bags, and uh, I, I think when I got to Morgan Lake, I reached in there and grabbed a headlight just in case, <laughs> uh, and that was it. So the other five or six things I had in the drop bag, I mean, I was zoned out. I uh, got some great food at the aid station, and uh, that was it. So. I really didn't utilize it other than grabbing the, the extra headlight just in case something were to happen and I didn't make it to Bald Rock. Yeah, that, that that's that's a crucial uh, 
think some people didn't bring their headlight or grab their headlight there. They were way behind when I was in Ball Rock. So, so that was a that was a good point right here. Oh, and this may surprise y'all, but uh, very little planning went into uh, any kind of drop back for me at any point in time. Uh, my father-in-law, who was my crew chief, made a drop back for me and turned it in for me. So um, I didn't realize, no, I had a drop bag until the morning of. So, uh, no, I, 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 I don't know what was in it, and I didn't look in it, and I didn't take nothing out of it. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's a drawback. You have to do it yourself. <laughs> you could have had some beer in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I could have. Yeah. But but yeah, the drawback. Uh, yeah, you have to plan your drawback. I'm learning better and better as I go. Uh, first year, like you said, I had just had a few things, and then second time I did it, I had some happy food. I, I think that's what I did. I still uh, I do carry my headlamp from the very beginning of the race. But but definitely, people people plan their drawbacks a lot. You know that's uh, you can hear that. We we can talk about that. In a future podcast, uh, some some expert out there, you, your crew could uh, could get stuck somewhere, and you you don't have anything, so you you always should have a drop back. That's what I was told. But uh, let's move forward. Uh, getting your uh, what do you call a pacer at the ball rock? Did you both of you had a pacer from the ball rock, or or how did that work? I did not. I did not actually pick my pacer up until Adam's Gap. So Jack uh, wanted to run through the night. So 55 is when I picked mine up. So you ran uh, all the way to 55 by yourself? Yes. Well, I, I say yes, but um, when I left Bald Rock, I met another another runner named Stu. And um, him and I ended up running from down Blue Hill and got separated at Pinnacle. So we spent roughly 35 miles together. So I, I would say I had somebody to run with during that. And then I picked up my official pacer at 55. Yeah, it's, it's a little different than running the runner versus getting and picking a pacer. But yeah, definitely. Right. It's, it's always good to have someone run with somebody. But yeah, but yeah, definitely. Because the pacer can be chatty and help you to just forget about it or whatever's yeah, going yes. on with you. So because... yeah, yes, and I will tell you, Jack, um, you know, Jack Rawls, who... who who paced me through the night, did a phenomenal job. I mean, I told him where I wanted to be, uh, roughly what times, and and he would just lock into that pace and make me keep up with him. You know, he would drag me along and instead of letting me fall back and walk and and all of that. So I, I truly am so glad that I picked him for that because he kept me where I wanted and should be during the race. Definitely. Robbie, uh, what 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 about you? You had a you had a pacer from Ball Rock, or you had it later on in the race? Yeah, I picked up my first pacer at Bald Rock, Jason Chatham, and Jason took me all the way to Adams Gap. It was Jason's uh, first time pacing, so I could kind of see it in his eyes. He was as nervous pacing me as I was pacing my guy last year, <laughs> uh, and I had to remind him several times, "Hey, man, it's just me. We're just running." Thank you for being out here. Let's just have a good time. And once he realized that I wasn't the speedy Robbie on Saturday mornings, uh, everything went great. We had a, a good time. You know, Jason's 
Jason set his sights on Penhody uh, 2019. So, you know, there it is, the yeah. uh, the gift that keeps on giving, right? So um, we'll be there to support him just like he was there to support us. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I needed it. DC's a strong runner. DC, there's no doubt about it. He was a stronger runner than me. I needed a pacer at Bald Rock. Uh, so I think I made the right call, and I think DC made the right call for him. So, you know, it just varies by different person. Definitely. That's one thing I'd say, that uh, if you if you have somebody to run along as early as mile 40, that's great. You'd definitely have it. If, if you have to spare people... You know, and then 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 you gotta find a crazy runner, either crazy runner like me, who, who will go the distance, or or start at the Porter's Gap. I think that's usually out. Adams or Porter's, you know, definitely the Adams is a good place to start. Before uh, we, I forget about uh, talking about Hubbard Creek. Tell us about how was the Hubbard Creek this year, because we always talk about Hubbard Creek. So that A station is <laughs> always rocking. So did you get to watch some football and uh, eat some oh. pizza? And man, Hubbard Creek was rough. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, me and Jason, uh, you know, came into Hubbard Creek, and the best way to describe Hubbard Creek is, for me, is is sitting at your grandmother's house at Christmas with a nice warm fire going, kick back, watching a football <laughs> game, pull up the blanket, lights out. And I, I promised myself that I was not going to stay there. And by the time I knew what was going on, I was sitting down in a chair with a nice warm uh, cup of broth, uh, a quesadilla or a pizza. I can't remember what it was, but it was so relaxing. And I looked up and uh, Ron Peterson, who is about 240 pounds, a Marine major that's going to school down in uh, Montgomery. He has become part of our run group. We love him to death. He's a big guy, middle linebacker in college. We were a little bit worried about him. He transferred down from Virginia about six months ago. He finished Blood Rock. He struggled a little bit, you know, had run some elevation, but, you know, found Oak Mountain to be a little bit difficult. So we were worried about him. You know, I, I knew he was going to finish i i just didn't know he was going to finish on uh, both feet so uh i look up and ryan's coming into the a station and uh i'm like what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh so he looked at me and you know typical marine officer he uh had his you know big eyeballs walked over and got something to eat really quick looked at me and said let's go uh, so I jumped to my feet, and uh, we squalled tires. We got out of the aid station, started climbing, creek crossing, all that good stuff. You know, he got in front of me, uh, going up to Adams Gap, passing people like crazy. I stayed on his heels. So if it hadn't have been for Ryan, I don't know what would have happened at Hubbard Creek. That place, <laughs> that place was just... Too comforting. Unbelievable yeah. aid station, but you do not want to sit down if you don't have to. Uh, definitely. You probably be still eating some pizza and enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. We love Hover Creek uh, aid station and all the volunteers. Just want to mention, I know they love to hear that. So, so definitely. Uh, DC, you, you mentioned our pre-interview talk. Uh, you mentioned that the, you, you felt the Hover Creek to Adams guy felt the longest. I felt the similar last time uh, when I was running. Um, tell us about why why did you feel that? Is it like a, it was been a long day for you and just felt slow? 
tired? Is that what it is, or is this? You know, I don't know. I was thinking about that. You know, since we talked about it, but it, it's just—it's a short three-mile stretch. But in that three-mile stretch, a fairly technical section. There's a lot of areas with rocks. There's a lot of areas where you really have to be mindful of where you're putting your feet. And and I think that for three miles of really having to stare at the trail, watch where you're going, you've been on your feet for hours. So I think I think it's just that mental 40 minutes, you know, that you're going through of okay, where are my feet? Where's this? Where's that? Where's this? And at one point in time, I had stepped on on a rock. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I caught it just perfectly where it flipped right up into my ankle. Mm. And, and, um, and you know, that'll just, it's, it's nothing excruciating, but it's just enough to where it just takes you out of it for a short period of time. And you've got to bring yourself back mentally and go, I'm fine. I can keep going. Um, so I think it was, you know, that, that, that small hiccup and just the being on my feet for that long, I'm in new territory for me. You know, 50 miles was the longest race I'd ever done before Penhody. Mm. So I'm in I'm in new territory. It's dark, and and I think that's part of the reason why. Uh, I think that's the part of the reason why. That's why that's why I said if you can't pick up a pacer, pick as early as possible, especially for being new in the trail. It probably will help to have somebody there. But w- one thing I like to mention, uh, we may need to go out and discover a run from <laughs> Chia to Adamson back one of these runs. So just to see in the daylight, uh, I've never seen that area. I mean, I have seen it during the uh, Chia 50K, but uh, not as a Penhody runner. like to see how that that section looks like. Uh, definitely love to do that one of these days. But w- one of the thing about uh, Adams Gap uh, is uh, is that's what I usually say, and uh, even in my previous podcast, I didn't mention that. That's where the real the race starts. Uh, that's a halfway point kind of. Uh, that's where where you start your race. Uh, the night fall and. When I got to Adams Gap, it was it was like a rocking. It was just like everybody was there. I luckily found my runner, uh, his crew, and it was like a star lined up together to meet everybody at the same time. And you know, I was not, I was kind of ready, and then we got ready and left, and we started running from there. But but that from that point on, I knew most day station. They were really great. Um, they were they were manned well, and uh, some of the newer thing I learned, like we talked about earlier. But uh, let's talk. About about a uh, little bit let's move forward about Adams Gap uh, did you did you guys do anything special in Adams Gap because that's where I usually like to change a little bit at Adams if I didn't change at the ball rock did you guys do anything yeah, yeah that's that was me I was still good at that time and um, and I had changed socks at um, at bald rock and uh, had a couple of things done to my feet so at Adam Gap I was still good on on clothes socks shoes so just kind of came in and repacked and uh got some food grabbed jack and and off we went yeah definitely uh, that's a good runnable section too that from that to to that for a while so it's a really good runnable section what about the potter's gap uh robbie how, how did you how did you came out on the potter's gap how was the whole run from adams to porter's I picked up my second pacer, Alan, at Adams. And Alan ran uh, about 30 miles and some change. So I had him pretty much all the way to uh, Bull's Gap. So uh, everything hilly and everything technical, Alan was a part of. You know, that was a pretty interesting stretch from Adams to Porter's. I think Chandler Springs was right in the middle of that, maybe. 
that sound about right? Yeah, channel string clearmont. So, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, hearing the hearing the train three or four different occasions, you know, started to get a little bit cool. Uh, weather was changing. Um, started feeling that sleep deprivation a little bit. So. Not really any crazy low points, but you could tell you were deep into the race. Uh, Alan did a phenomenal job. Coming into Porter's, I would say if I had to put it on paper, that's when I really started questioning, wow, okay, this is getting real. I've got a long way to go, and I'm starting to feel like uh, I was starting to feel pretty puny at this point. What does the next 15, 20, 30 miles, um, you know, what, what's that going to feel like? So started getting some of the doubts and just not knowing. And I'd say that was probably around Porter's Gap when I started feeling those type of emotions. I'm just looking at the chart. For me, as I feel like 11 to 12, 12 to 13 there, they feel really long. And it's a five-mile stretch. Uh, even going from Chandler to Porter's, it felt bad and uh, i was trying to figure out for me since i was a pacer i was really my legs were still fresh i'm trying to figure out why 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 did it feel like that that was like from chandler to porter there's a lot of climbing uh that's only (laughs) 3.4 miles but there's a lot of climbing i think it took me an hour and a half last time just to get that far out felt like that and it's late at night too so that's when the race really settles in like you said uh this is where you break in making and breaking point for a lot of people uh this is once you get to porters you know you got to start thinking about that big big climb uh dc did you do anything when you get to porters porters gap uh, is, was there anything special you, you were you were thinking about doing it, or how how did you feel in in that point? Because that's a pretty 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 good stretch from Adams to Porter. So yeah, Porter's. I was still I was okay. I was starting to get tired. Um, so I, I set for maybe a couple of minutes. I sat down and talked to a couple of people there, and um, and was letting one of the guys do. I told you about he was uh, getting a new shirt. He was doing a couple of things, so I took advantage while he was doing that. And then uh, besides that, I just got a few things from uh, the aid station, made sure that I had plenty of water and you know other hydration, you know noon and all that. And and then me and Jack went ahead and got ready to go to Pinnacle. So there was really just a basic basic stop for me porters can be really fast stop uh there's really but if you don't have like mentioned several times or during other other podcasts too that you definitely want to have somebody to go go with you some distance from porters to may bulls uh let's talk about the pinnacle for a first timer i think it's a good to talk about pinnacle uh tell us about your pinnacle climb experience my runner thought that it was his first climb to pinnacle he was thinking like it's all uphill there's a lot of runnable section till he hit that start hitting that hill so we ran pretty good uh that area so porters of pinnacle we were going you know <laughs> we were going we did pretty good but tell us about your pinnacle climb experience yeah for me it was the same um we were moving pretty good across there and um and then what was funny is uh we could start hearing the music and for me that was i i welcomed that because it was a sign of civilization was coming so so we moved right on through and then you go through that um before you start climbing you go through that little uh what is that little wet area that swamp area that's got the down trees Mm -hmm. and stuff that you go through and um once we made it through there we pretty much just started the climb 
and there were so many people, you know, there's so many people that you're, that you could talk to that, you know, walking with and, and everything else. We just kind of just set a pace and just went with it and climbed to the top. Yeah. So my penalty experience was uh, quite a bit different. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not, not in a good way. Um, I think that was probably the second lowest point of the race for me. Rebecca Mountain, you know, you're starting at Portage Gap, and uh, uh, our group for Rebecca Mountain was pretty fast getting up to Pinnacle and over. So I was kind of expecting that. It, it seemed really long, basically from the point of, of leaving porters to getting to the first set of switchbacks just seemed like it took forever uh once i started going up the switchbacks um i was using a set of poles uh first time i'd ever used poles in a race don't don't really recommend trying that uh, unless you've had a chance to practice with them but they did help a little bit i think mainly it, it helped so when i got so exhausted i had something to lean over on <laughs> uh, that's probably about the extent of it but uh there were numerous times climbing up to the pinnacle to where i would just stop and just lean over um i felt that i started sleepwalking a little bit so that was the first time that the sleep deprivation really hit me to where i was literally falling asleep while walking you know, and then by the time you know it, then it's over. You know, you, you, you realize you're up at the top and then you get that surge of uh, motivation. Uh, you know, the, the, the butts aid state was jamming. Uh, if you can't feed off the energy, something's wrong with you. So that kind of got me back going. And again, that's that's a place you don't want to sit down uh, if you don't have to by the, the nice warm fire. So we were kind of in and out of there. So that was kind of my experience to Pinnacle. It was not good at all but uh, we made it up there and you know of course if you can make it to the aid station uh you'll get a second win guaranteed most of the time uh but uh <laughs> in the past every time i climb um what did like this you said every year we climb pinnacle i was telling my runner trade that i used to see people line the whole trail lit, lit up but like all the but this time i we hardly had anybody when i got to the pinnacle i was searching for bourbon shots and there's some videos out there <laughs> wanted my food from last year because uh, i was really suffering last year uh, but I, I had i had fun uh, being at been at Pinnacle in, in different ways, not the way you guys were having. Uh, but uh, you buy mine was just I was just wanted to have fun. It was 20 miles or some 22 miles into the race for me, so it was good. Worst part for us was uh, I think uh, Trey and I uh, we we struggle uh, coming out of Pinnacle. It got cold for Trey, my runner, and then then we I think both of us kind of got sleepy <laughs> throughout the parts of uh, coming out of. The, you know, a station all the way to Bulls Gap. I think uh, we we had we had a pretty tough time. Uh, that that hills keep on going up and up uh, was not uh, not fun. So so how do, how was it a Bulls uh, Pinnacle to Bulls experience uh, uh, for you, DC? Uh, well, uh, as they say, it the uh, the wheels came off at Wormies. So I was having a pretty good time up until Wormies, and everything started kind of falling apart. Um, wow, you went pretty long yeah. way though. Um, getting food, finding anything that I even wanted to eat was was very difficult, and a few other issues that I'd had um, between wormies and bulls made it. You know that was the that was the longest part of the race for me. You know that was a long six miles. 
and at Bulls, I was able to uh, finally get something to eat and swap out my, you know, my stuff in my pack and and keep moving. But between Mormons and Bulls, like I said, that was the most difficult six miles of the race for me. Yeah, I think that a stretch, even uh, from Pinnacle to Warmies, is pretty tough because of those trails are a lot of rockies and you got to go through the rocks and some of the trails marking was off a little because of the you know the way the trail was set up uh, those uh, those are those are even difficult during the day daylight i have ran through those and during the daylight so and the wind this year across there was was <laughs> i mean it was cold it was cold up there with that yes, wind and yes. everything coming across that ridge line yeah it's a different from last year uh when we 2017 uh, it was hot. 2018, when I ran first time, I think it was 2015, 2014, 2015, it was cold just like this. The wind started blowing and oh, it, it, it gets cold. Uh, so you must wear a jacket. That was one of our mistakes was I forgot to ask my runner uh, if he wants to wear a jacket. And we totally forgot he didn't have it. And then he got cold and hungry and sleepy. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a good thing to have it. Especially getting close to mile 80, 85, so it's not a good. So so as we get closer to uh, talking about it, you know, we talked a lot about going from A station to A station. Uh, uh, Robbie, did you have any legs left for at, uh, getting to Bulls Gap? Yeah, so no. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, leaving, leaving out of Pinnacle, um, you know, I, kind of coming coming out of pinnacle you have have a little bit of energy until you top the ridge and now you're on the windward side of the mountain so pinnacle a station is a little bit protected uh hardly any wind there but uh, as soon as you cross the road uh you know top the ridge you're on the windward side and all of a sudden it hits you right in the face and you're like wow so my pacer ran back to our crew, uh, dug through the crew box and got me uh, a jacket and uh, ran back. And uh, luckily I had a jacket. I'm not sure what I would have done without it because I got really cold. Uh, I was fine once I put the jacket on and, um, you know, got about a mile down the trail. And then I kind of started feeling the same way I did climbing Pinnacle. Uh, Just no energy, started sleepwalking again, made it to Wormy somehow. Don't remember much about Wormies other than now we're starting to talk about the clock and needing to get out of there. So now not only am I tired, miserable, don't really want to be there, looking for any excuse in the world to quit, just waiting for my pacer to say, hey, man, you didn't make it. And and I think I would have started jumping up and down for joy. So I was just looking for desperation unfortunately or fortunately now but unfortunately at the time no one ever said that other than just keep going let's go let's go let's go so halfway between wormies and bulls uh at some point alan tells me that i laid down in the trail in a fetal position and just said no i'm broke and alan said no you're not broke you're breaking but you're not broke let's go so I got up and we continued the, to somehow do the death shuffle down to bulls. And, um, you know, that's when, you know, sun had came up and, uh, you know, once you get to bulls, that's a pretty big energy, big crowd. I think that's the Huntsville, uh, track club that runs at eight stations. So everything was pretty lively. Still didn't want to be there. I'm still hurting, but, uh, 
picked up my next pacer and uh you know off we went did you have any energy back once you started going downhill or was it the so, same so so i've traditionally had really bad cramps and uh really bad blisters on my feet i had zero cl- cramps this whole race and and i attribute that to just staying on the elevation all year you know again going back to our training you know not not necessarily the, the 1,800 to 2,000 miles that some of the other people had put in, but the elevation, no cramps. And I did something new this race that I had never done before. Uh, I lathered my feet in squirrel's nut butter uh, several times during the race and also used a sock liner uh, in, uh, in, in Genji sock liner. And uh, I didn't get the first blister, zero blisters. So the reason I say that... <laughs> You can put a lot of preparation into this race and you can lube and you can lube just about everywhere that's supposed to be lube. But if you don't lube in the very smallest of parts, it can turn into an extreme <laughs> issue. Basically, from from Bull's Gap to the end of the race, I dealt with uh, extreme chasing in the the nether region. Uh, and that was a game changer that, that, you know, it was enough being tired, miserable, but having that on top of it was just like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I had enough energy to run the downhills. Uh, if you want to call it running kind of speed walk the flats and I don't know what you would call whatever we were doing trying to climb hills basically steve dadman who was pacing me the last 15 from bulls was just trying to keep me from laying down on the side of the road (laughs) so you know i didn't have much left but i also knew that there was a pretty good chance i was going to finish and my ocd was kicking in saying "Eh, maybe you're not maybe you're Mm. not so it was just enough to kind of keep me going but no i I didn't have a lot left kept moving forward though Definitely. That's that's important to keep moving forward. I have uh, some years I've, I've been able to go fast in that area, some some years not. So it just depends, I think, how you save yourself or how you do it. Let's kind of go go fast forward to the, the last stretch and the finish line, uh, getting to finish line. Tell us about your emotion to get to the finish line. Uh, did you want to start uh, when you saw that stadium and then the track and getting there finally you know kind of give us that last moment as you cross in the finish line well for me i'll tell you i have to back up to to watershed watershed was my emotional time for some reason that is where i was at my i i guess you could say emotional breaking point uh that's where everything came to the forefront uh, just seeing you know father-in-law brother you know sister-in-law all, all that there and and all the the guys from our running crew you know how proud they were and and it, that was my emotional breaking point and um when i got everything together got all my stuff and and headed out when i got to the finish line assuming when i say i i had nothing more to give i mean i left everything out there i was um the pictures and the video if you if you see them i i was done i was physically and mentally just just done so it was more of a relief that i was able to finish it but i really couldn't muster up any other emotion besides that it was just relief and i sit down now yeah and and that really does sum it up i mean i all i wanted one 
I crossed was to go sit in a chair, and that was it. Yeah, that sums up a, a 100 miler finisher. Uh, if you have never finished 100 miler, that's I call a complete breakdown. It's nothing, you know, <laughs> nothing left even to think next step. Well, how are you going to do it? That's a complete breakdown. I think that's a really, yeah, I know how it feels. I've been there seven times. Sometimes it's better than the other, but, but they're all all the same. Feels the same way. And that's that's the reason I run 100. It's just, it's beyond beyond anything. You know, you, you get to the experience that. It's, it's amazing. What about you, Robbie? Yeah, so looking back, um, you know, the last seven and a half miles from Watershed, uh, I think it was 95% mental. Uh, you know, I think I had some left in the tank physically, but mentally I was just, I had checked out. So the only conversation that I was having with my pacer, you know, repeatedly was how much further? How much further? Okay, how much time do we have? How much further? So, you know, for the seven and a half miles, that, that saw my poor pacers hearing, and I'm starting to get a little agitated at that point. You know, where's the main road? You know, how far is it? So, you know, physically, you know, I never, even during the whole race, I never ever felt like I was winded or anything. It's just, it's a different beast. A hundred miler is a different beast if you're, you know, back of the packer. It's it's emotional, it's mental, it's fatigue, sleep deprivation. It's a whole different side of running that I think a lot of people just can't. It's hard to prepare for unless you do it. So, uh, you know, looking back, uh, if I could have conquered that mental uh, aspect, I, I think I could have probably run it in a little bit better. But uh, just, you know, mentally, I, I didn't have it in me. I had already defeated myself <laughs> so by the time i got to the track then somebody said run so i, I ran and I, I, from what i remember i ran it in pretty pretty decent you know and then once i got on the track and saw everybody i felt okay and then as soon as i started pushing the baby stroller to the car i had a great sense of just wanting nothing more than to just lay down in a bed and i was you know that's what i wanted I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about breakfast, um, you know, the buckle. I just wanted to be at home <laughs> in my bed. Do whatever you have to do to make that happen. Call the state patrol, get an escort, get me in my bed. That's the only thing in the world I want. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, yeah, those moments. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. One one thing I'd like to mention to you guys that uh, I I know my runners now appreciate, but at that time, once we hit that road, that long stretch, I told my runner, I said, hey, I'm a road runner, happen to be a trail runner. Here's my element. I'm not going to let you walk here. We ran. He 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 followed, and we ran, and we ran. Uh, we tried to be sub twenty six hours. I think that's what we're trying to do. I think I think that's what we did. But uh, he ran, and he followed, and he, and he was strong. He he was a stronger. Once we left the water set, he was ahead of me. I, it took me a while to catch him because I was talking, and then he left, and I didn't know he was that strong. But uh, but that's. Yeah, that's a, once you finish that hundred miler. So what did you do? You did you did uh, people uh, take you home, Robbie? How do your your crew and patients they carry you in a victory lap? Yeah, so so my brother, you know, wonderful NBC's crew and and stepdad, same thing. They you know our our crews 
since we were so close during the race, uh, you know, 20 minutes apart, pretty much from start to finish, the crew helped him come through and then they kind of all stayed back and waited for me and then they would leave and, and kind of uh, piggyback to the next aid station. So they did phenomenal Alex, uh, DC's dad, came all the way over from uh, Augusta, Georgia. My brother came all the way over from Warner Robins, Georgia. They may have got an hour or two of sleep all night, and then they had to drive all the way back. So <laughs> I think we, we felt more sorry for them than, than us having to go 45 minutes to Birmingham. But yeah, my wife drove me back, and uh, literally I walked in the door. Uh, I, I think I remember her uh, maybe hollering at me for climbing in the bed with my running clothes still on, but I didn't care. I just wanted to be in the bed so bad. Yeah. So, DC, how, how long did you end up sitting in a chair? Uh, I, I probably sat in a chair for 20 minutes or so, and then uh, they were nice enough to lay me down on the football field in a sleeping bag and wrap a blanket around me and uh, and I probably slept right there for about 30 minutes, 40 minutes till Robbie came in. And then once he came in, we all started getting up, moving, and, you know, getting everything together to go home. But, yeah, probably 10 minutes in a chair and 30 minutes on the 30-yard line, dead asleep. This is the yeah. best nap I ever had. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just stay there, but, but I had to come home. But I wanted to see some of you finishing. But uh, looking back, uh, your experience with Pinhody, if you think about one thing, I mean, we talked about training, racing. What, is, what do you think contributed for you to finish, keep going, moving forward, try to get that buckle? Tell us that one experience, one, one thing. So you've got to have the right reason to want to do that. Um, it all goes back to the root cause for why you want to do it, not not why somebody wants you to do it. You got to have the right reason, and, and once you figure that out, then you have to make a commitment to put in the work, and it's not easy. You know, there's a lot of you know self visualization. Um, you know, picturing yourself on the starting line. Once you sign up for the race, that's going to happen. So you have to make sure that you put in the work to make sure that when that happens that you're 100% confident in your training and I can tell you I've been in some races to where I wasn't 100% confident in the training and it, it wasn't a fun experience uh Penhody was fun for me and I'm sure it was for DC we knew that we were ready physically the mental part never been there before so I couldn't tell you but the physical part I knew I was ready. I knew DC was ready. You know, having the military background, uh, both DC and I, uh, I figured that we would be able to figure this thing out and uh, survive mentally. Uh, barely, but we did it. Uh, but, you know, again, going back to the biggest reason, make sure you have the right reason to sign up for that race because it will eat you up and spit you out if it's the wrong reason. Yeah, it, it definitely will. For me, it was, um, I am always one of, I've, I've always been one of those guys that I want to know what I could push myself through. What is my limit? And that's why I love trail running so much. I, you could do a 50K. Hey, I, I did that one. Let's try a 50 miler. Hey, let's try a 100K or let's try a 100 miler. Always pushing to see what you can, you can accomplish. So for me, I wanted to see what I could do mentally and physically. And Penhody was that. So when I crossed that finish line and it took two days, so I mean, it didn't, it didn't set in until Tuesday that I ran 100 miles. Ran, walked, hiked, however you want to do it. I completed a hundred miles. I had a ton of help, and I love everyone 
that helped me accomplish this. But I physically had to put one foot in front of the other for 28 hours to accomplish this. And for me, it was just being able to say, what's next? Now I've done this. I know I can accomplish it. What's next? Definitely. That sounds like a great reason. Thanks for both of you coming to this podcast. It has been great pleasure to talk to you, both uh, learning about many things, including your journey through Pindahody. And um, before we close this interview, I just wanted to, I know that you have given many, many advice. Uh, if you if you listen or listening closely, you can hear lots of advice and lots of pains and, and a lot of suffering and a lot of things you have gone through, not only doing the race, but from the beginning, uh, as you set your mind from running, you know, ultra running races, coming from the couch to uh, basically running 100 mile or give us a word of advice to the uh, listener who wants to achieve this dream to get this pin hoodie buckle next year or a few years down the road. Give us that word of advice, each of you. My word of advice is this. When you tackle this, especially a 100 mile or no matter if it's pin hoodie or another one, Make sure that it's something that you truly want. You have to want to finish a hundred miler. That is the biggest thing. And so as as long as you're committed, as long as you know in your heart that you want to do that and you're mentally driven, you'll be fine. But you have to make sure it's something that you, it's a desire to finish, not just a, oh, I think I'll do that. It has to be something you truly want and desire to finish. Yeah. So if I would, uh, if if I would, you know, give a couple of pieces of advice um first would be to find a mentor there are plenty of experienced uh, 100 mile runners uh in our area uh but find a mentor and just ask the questions uh, they've been there um you know i've only ran one 100 now but i can promise you that if i were to run Pinhody again next year i've learned uh, a significant amount that would help me do quite a bit better uh, the, the second time. So find a mentor, find a run group. Accountability is big. Uh, come up with a, a plan, stick to it, hold yourself accountable. You know, like DC said, make sure that you're in it for the right reasons. Put in the hard work and, uh, you know, have fun. That's what it's all about. Definitely having fun. It's, it's, um, Sometimes the fun comes in different ways, <laughs> running 100 or training for 100. But uh, having fun is most important, other than getting that buckle. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, we really appreciate uh, you coming come to the podcast and talk to us. All right. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, thanks. Simon. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emran's podcast. Please visit emrans.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, get race photos, get discount codes, and more.